<laughs> Detroit versus who, who was it was Big Sean who said that on that uh uh no, man that's Jake Dilla man stop it man stop all <laughs> No, this is a hip hop show. You're you're, you're 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 easy to get, dude. Yeah. <laughs> it looks like we're playing. Like before we start, I talked to uh, Marley Crab yesterday. I talked to Crab yesterday. He put that nice. He put that nice verse on that Static album. <laughs> nice verse on that, right? But yeah, that ter- terminology, bud, is just so slept on. He's oh, he's so good, bro. I hear you. I hear you. I hear you. He's so good, dude. Thirty. What is thirty-nine albums? Thirty-nine albums, and he produced two. I have most all of them. Word. He's crazy, man. Welcome to Pushing Through. It is Tuesday. It is March 21st, 24th, actually. And uh, we are still in quarantine. We are losing days. Uh, we are losing our sense of time. But we are joined by a phenomenal guest, uh, a man that BJ uh, Armstrong will ride for in any sense. And you may think it's because of a, a golf connection or, or even like a work connection, but really it's a hip hop connection. And that, of course, is a uh, golf coach and extraordinary Mr. Sean Foley. Sean Foley, welcome to the program. Hi, guys. Good afternoon. It's great this to have my, you. This is my guy. I'm so excited to hear my guy. You know, I guess we got to go through all of the, the, <laughs> the, the nonsense of, you know, talk about golf and talk a little basketball. We don't ever really talk. We don't ever really talk about. about I'm excited to talk to you about Jay Electronica's new album. I'm excited to talk to you about Static's new album. I'm excited to talk to you about hip hop. But we'll, 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 we'll say that as for later in the, in the, in the show. Well, before before we get to the hip hop heads and, and we let Sean Foley break this all down for us and, and get into you know the the battles between Jay Dilla and, and all that sort of stuff and talk about Detroit rap, uh, I do want to mention Sean. Obviously, we are in the golf world. Uh, you know, the PGA Tour uh, is not happening right now. We are not seeing uh, professionals out in the world playing golf. Um, just your your first thoughts on that. Obviously, you know, dealing with the quarantine and just uh, what you expect from the PGA Tour when uh, professional golf returns. You know, I think it's one thing I first day that this kind of popped off where I understood that this was going to change reality. Um, Now, reality is not truth, but it is reality. So reality would be one's perceptions based on knowledge, experience and what have you. So obviously this is going to create good and bad on both sides. So the wisdom of the moment will show a lot of people that they uh have misplaced introspection and retrospect and really looking deeply within themselves and things like that so from a pga tour standpoint yeah like you know i make 50 percent of what i earn uh based on commission off of tournament earnings Mm -hmm. so you know that that's obviously not ideal uh so that's really the last thing i'm worried about so to me you know, along that, along those lines, I've always been as a coach, I've always been, especially in the last probably uh, four or five years, I felt after I had really accomplished a lot, I had to reset the reason that I do what I do. And I think that that reason had become 
trophies and money and made cuts and top tens and players in the top 20 in the world rankings. At some point, I measured abundance in my life by those things. So the problem is what happens is then I have like my most summit moment that I've ever had. I'm on the highest mountain I've ever been on. I'm up there. And then I realize that there's no oxygen. Um, it's freezing as hell. Uh, and going down on the descent is where 90% of all world-class climbers die. So here I'm at this point where I've literally attained all I dreamed of. And personally, I've never been in the worst place. So when that hits you, the problem is that hits a lot of people, but they don't stop. Mm -hmm. And so what times like this do, the difficulty of this time isn't the amount of people who are going to die. All that stuff's awful. We, there's nothing about it that has anything good as far as from that standpoint. Um, I mean, I'm not even going to get into the whole thing, but the idea is just that to me, what's going to be really challenging for people is in that time, I've decided that the whole thing is about mastery and it's just about this process of, of getting a percent better each day and realizing that some of those percent gains that you have will come from really painful happenings in your career. And so to me, like times like this, times with the most adversity and the most challenge is where the most growth comes from. And mm -hmm. if, you know, even when you believe that you still have to convince yourself of it all the time. I mean, I literally feel, I, I literally feel like I'm a cheerleader in my own head right now. And what happens is the other option isn't allowed. Because see, here's, the, here's my main issue I think the world has. Um, and this is not my original theory. This comes from a plethora of readings and th thinking, talking to people. It's just an amalgamation of my experience into a real simple version of where I think like we all go wickedly wrong. So because of imagined orders, like religion, capitalism, communism, all these things. So much of our belief system is outside of ourselves. And so the problem with that is that when you ask someone, you know, what stresses you out? And then they say, well, traffic stresses me out. And then you ask them, well, does this stress you out all the time? And they say, well, no, not all the time. So Technically, if, if I drink cyanide, it will kill me every time. That's a mathematical principle of truth. It, I will not get used to it. So to me, if someone said cyanide will kill you, sure, it's not an opinion. Mm -hmm. Okay. So saying traffic stresses you out is just your estimate of a situation. So the fact of the matter is that if I'm in a good mood, traffic has never bothered me. I just turn the music up louder and just, and even if I'm in a good mood, that's what, I always know when my state of consciousness is, is, is really high because I can listen to El Zion and hear every single word crystal clear. <laughs> and, and, and that's one thing about hip hop that's been really productive in my thought process, I think, since I was a little boy. Justin Rose, one of the players I coach, who uh, is one of the top players in the world, I've worked with him for 11 years. So, so when I first started with him, I'd be like, yo, you need to listen to this. This is really interesting. And, and Rosie's he could become very introspective, but he's a thoughtful, he's a deep guy. Mm -hmm. um, so he would like, he really liked like most deaf and Talib Kweli. I mean, there Black you go, star. right? So yep. he, he, he would listen and be like, you know, one thing I've learned, Foles, when you send me songs to listen to um, is, 
it shows me if I'm present or not. Because if I'm not present, I can't hear a single word. Mm -hmm. And so I think what's occurring all over the country, the danger from a social aspect, from an unrest aspect, is that everyone is forced to not be busy right now. And so, you know, going to the gym at 8.30 till 9.30, then going to work till five, coming home, having dinner, doing this and that, what happens is the busier we get, the more we can run for our, from our problems. And, but we still feel like we're being productive and responsible. The problem is in human relationships, the things that go unsaid for too long are far more damaging than the things that go said because the things that go unsaid mm. for too long, when they go unsaid for too long and then they get to that level, to that kind of, that almost that vector of force, what gets said, you can't come back from. And mm -hmm. I think that, you know, uh, one, I've never ever been able to answer the question anyone's asked me. Um, so that you, you guys got to check me on that. But, <laughs> but you know, I, I just think like, for me, we went out with one of my players the other day and we're hitting balls and he's hitting it really nice. And then he hit this really poor shot and then he hit another one. And I said to him, you know, it's really funny. He said, what's that? And I said, if this was the week before the masters, you would have fucking flipped out at those two shots. Mm -hmm. And he goes, yeah, why do you think that is? And I'm like, cause you have nothing to play for right now. So that doesn't really bother you because now you're just out practicing and your identity is not connected to top five or top 10 or, you know, 66, I'm a good person, 75, I'm a bad person. All these bullshit games we play with our ego when, all of these guys, when they first started, they paid to play and they loved it. Now they get paid to play and they're miserable from it. So, mm -hmm. you know, to me, that's, that's, kind of, that, that's, that's kind of what it is. For a lot of people that BJ played against and guys who still play today, man, getting good at basketball was just the only way out of the shit that they didn't want to deal with all the time. And then it gets made about money and guys blow through money because they, they never really did it for that anyways. And then they'd never been taught what to do at that point. So to me, that's the, the danger is like, it was so interesting as I said to him, look, dude, all we're trying to do is get better with each single rep. So when you look at masters, like true masters, you're dealing with a DJ premier. You're dealing, you're dealing with an Elzai. You're dealing with a Michael Jordan, a Kobe, a Steph Curry for that fact. He is a master of shooting. Mm -hmm. Okay. Vince Carter told me a story. Uh, Vince lives in the neighborhood next to me. And I know Vince and, and Grant Hill quite well from being up at the same club. And they're both like elegant, classy dudes. And Vince tells stories when he played with Del Curry about this annoying kid who just walked around with a ball all the time and basically <laughs> over like five, six years had taken every single person in one-on-one -on -one in the NBA. He would not let you not play him. <laughs> and so to me, sure, did he want to be MVP? Did he want to have 50 million? I don't think that's what made him so good. I think that that became attainable once he was so good, but it was just about the mastery period right and then you you look at how he adapted in in what he did he ended up creating the shot that went off the quickest because he had to because his mechanical advantage wasn't height or vertical so mm -hmm. he ended up then probably arguably getting the ball on the most perfect arc to go in the most often so his disadvantage was his advantage so i'm trying to get 
you know, I feel like I've been talking to a lot of people and, 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 and getting a lot of text messages by people kind of losing their shit. And it's just kind of like, look, here's what's happening right now. All right. Basically we're watching ESPN. Your life is ESPN and everything that's happening in your head right now is the ticker that's underneath, underneath it. So the thing about the ticker, dude, it just comes and goes. So all, all these thoughts that people are having and what's going to happen. And look, as soon as you're asking yourself a question, the unknown, just stop. It's not responsible. It's not going to help anyone around you. It's not going to help you. Um, I think that this is a universal reset that if it is looked at properly, will bring us closer um, through introspection and retrospect, realize that black, Muslim, Christian, Jew, Palestinian, Israeli, you have cells that viruses wrap onto because our RNA and DNA in the cell is made up of viruses, bacteria, and parasites anyways. So it's like, it, th that is a guarantee of what's going to happen. My concern is not really, this is not Ebola. This is nothing like that. All right. But it's serious. But what it's serious is because you have a divided country. You have people divided in their own households. And this is either going to do one of two things. And there, I don't think there's an in-between. I don't think this is like shades of gray. I think this is black and white. And I think my 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 feeling is at times of of tragedy like this the net default system in the human being goes to love and compassion you look in the bahamas the bahamas wouldn't be a third world country if rich people cared but within a fuck within a hurricane within three days there's like 60 private jets sent down helicopters supplies look it wouldn't be a third world country if people didn't have five houses that's why there is third world countries so but the thing is like in houston i'll never forget that one video there's that brother with the dreadlocks on a jet ski going into a wealthy neighborhood where the front doors were so big that they opened up and then there was uh, two older white women sitting on the stairs he pulled up picked them up and then took a selfie taking them out two weeks before that if he was in that neighborhood everyone would have looked over their shoulder let's just be honest mm -hmm. it's what people do all right like it's it, and look they don't mean to it's not like it doesn't make them the worst thing in the world the only reason you can feel that way about someone is because you've never met anyone like that so mm -hmm. all you know is what you've been I told what I heard all the was, uh, so to me like i really think that this is a that this is a chance um this is a this is a real chance. I mean, I don't know what would be worse, being in the middle of Trump's second administration or this, because all the things they've been doing in a very and, and understand, I'm Canadian. I'm not a Democrat or Republican. Mm -hmm. um, I believe there's probably good people on both sides. I believe there's people who are making sense on both sides. I'm just not seeing. It. Um, <laughs> I'm just not seeing it. Period. From both sides. Okay? Yeah. From both sides. It. I'm. I'm not. I'm not lefty. I'm not righty. I'm a truthist. That's what I'm after. If you know what I'm saying, that is, that's what I'm after. So, you know, to, it's obviously a very long answer to a question, but <laughs> I'm just, I'm just kind of, I think one of the ways that I learn and one of the ways that I kind of create therapy within myself is to keep talking about these issues. When I, when it was funny, when I was little BJ, my mom used to get so pissed that I never stopped talking. And, <laughs> and my, 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 my dad, my mom would always say, you got, two ear you got two ears and one mouth or whatever. And then I probably made the smart ass thing like an evolution danger could come from both sides. So, <laughs> um, but, and, then, and then I'd get hit extra hard with the soup spoon, right? 
by my, <laughs> my, my little Guyanese West Indian mother calling me a, calling me a, a, a <laughs> just names that I didn't even learn about until <laughs> my Jamaican friends told me what it meant. But, 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 you know, the idea is that, like, I took a test a couple of years ago, and I had this really strange learning thing where I learned from speaking. And so that's kind of what it is. So I, the last lessons I've had on the range hasn't been about the golf swing. It's been about, you know, what guys are thinking about, what they're going through, where their fears are, these different types of things, just to get them to understand, like, look, everything you're thinking about is irrational and irresponsible. And it feels like when you worry about things, it feels responsible, right? Like mm -hmm. being worried about your kids, you feel is like a parental thing. But, but then what happens is your kids don't go outside because you're worried they're going to get abducted. Like I've, I know a lot of people, I've never met anyone to be kidnapped. And I'm, I, what I'm saying is I'm not, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm not saying it doesn't happen. And man, for those families that it does, I, I can't even imagine what that's like, but we are at a point where we are scared of our own shadow. We are scared of our own shadow. And the fact of the matter is people are going to help each other in this who would never have looked at each other because we're all affected the same way. So does it take something like this to kind of re to, to, to shake us up into seeing those things like is integrity and character and honesty going to be important again? Um, you know, so it's a lot going on, but I do honestly think that people need to realize that this is a really good time to reflect, but also understand that when you're sitting there and you're getting annoyed and you're this and you're that, look, people get annoyed all day, but when they're at work, they can't really yell at the boss the way they yell at their husband or wife. Mm -hmm. So by the time we get home, everything we should have said to the other people, we now say to the ones we love the most. So I would say to everybody, just realize that it's going to be really challenging and 95% of the time you don't even mean what you say. And that's just where we're at is recognizing that, you know? Yeah. And we get to the point, uh, like you said, you know, we, we live in a world where there's an author and he's a physicist, his name's Joe Dispenza. And it's all about the quantum field and about the fact that we live in the eternal present. There is no such thing as the past. There's no such thing as the future because, you know, with relativity and the quantum field, right, everything is in an eternal present. And in these moments, we have to live in that internal present like you're talking about. So when Justin Rose is listening to Elzai today, since he's sitting at home and he's in a present moment, he's going to hear those lyrics. He's going to hear that moment because he has to live in this current present because we don't know what the future looks like. We know what the past was, but we don't know right now what the future looks like. And I think that's a powerful point to point out. And in a time where athletes and people are, are sitting at home and stirring and, like you said, projecting out, um, their own frustrations potentially, it's time to reflect and also a time to assess the situation, assess where, where your values are, and then figure out what the next best step is. So, uh, you know, it was a great answer. I don't even know what the question was, but but but, but after you said all that, I, uh, I I totally agree with what you're saying, Charles. So, so BJ was right. You called it, BJ. We needed, we needed that knowledge today. Oh, absolutely. So I, I, got, I, got a, I got a major question for you. You know, you, you're, you've been coaching, but really this is about life. Mm -hmm. What has been your recipe? What, what's been your recipe to get your players that you work with, your clients that you work with, to step into their own fears and get into that zone just, where you're just, present just right here, right know, now? Just talking to them about mine, mm -hmm. of my own, mm -hmm. and knowing that, 
there's just no one's going through different things. We're just not like, it's just, we're really not. I mean, basically some people have better problems. Okay. So Warren Buffett has money problems. It's not the same as a single mother, but it's, he still has money problems. And, and mm -hmm. it's like, people have problems. It, it, life is about having better problems. It's not about having no problems. So, mm -hmm. because to me, to me, like where, where would, I think happiness and joy come from. I think happiness and joy come from, you know, confronting those challenges. I, I'm, I'm, I'm not, you know, to me, that's kind of the best part, like where the joy comes from is, is the joy comes from all the obstacles and the pain. It doesn't come from the thing. It comes from, you know, it, 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 it comes from dealing with all that adversity and coming out on the other side, hopefully more humble um, and obviously more skilled at what you do. So I just think with the players, you know, as a coach, it's my responsibility to stay up on all the nuances and mechanics, all the new data as far as strokes gained, uh, 3D, all that stuff. But I can also look at the greatest players of all time who never even saw their swing on video. So <laughs> I get it. I, I, I've been the face of a lot of that movement. And, and at the end of the day, why would I measure? Why, why would I guess what I could measure? You know what I mean? Like, that's important to me. But, I mean, I can see that a guy is, has poor driver statistics, but what if I go back and really look at it detailed to how many bad drives he hit after missing a short putt on the hole before? Mm -hmm. Like, so the problem to me is the data doesn't go enough into the game and what the game is. The data is showing me the correlation from the action of the player, but, you know, it's, for example, like using 3D as they're using in a lot of different sports and we're using it in golf. We've never got 3D data of anyone on the back nine of a tournament. Like that's when I would like to see what the data says. Like getting the data of sitting in a room and hitting into a net with no wind and n like it's just not even the same. It's not even, you know, how many guys like Dwight Howard would go make 95 out of 100 free throws as he rattled them off one after the other. Like he was speed shooting. Well, by the time he got in the game, his heart rate was at like 175 and people were screaming at him. So why would you not practice with your heart rate at 175 with absolute abject noise everywhere? Like I don't, so, they, you know, they, he'd sit there and he'd work with the trays of balls. So that ain't the game, man. That's not what the game is. The game is being able to manage your nervous system when you're also trying to manage your respiratory system and try to manage your whole chemical and adrenal system. That's, that's, that's what it is, right? So I think that in most sports, we're failing players because of how they train. So we go to the range. We all want to feel good about ourselves. We want to have like a good practice. I don't know, man. You know, the Navy SEALs, I think they got it right. You know, all, all the great players who came from street games, they got it right. Um, I think that they take 100 guys who are really smart, very athletic, very strong, very everything. And they run them through this thing for a week. And at the end, there's only 10. And then whoever's left, they call special. I mean, that's what a special forces is, right? So they basically make it so impossible that whoever's left is going to be the best. And we go to the range or the golf course, and we play the same tees every day. We play with the same people. <laughs> we practice in the same wind direction. Mm -hmm. Like, it's just not, I don't find that, I, I think the problem with practice is that there's mental coaches because people train in a 
in a very poor way. So they think things are wrong with them, but what happens is when they practice or do what they're doing, they're creating a false sense of competency. So to me, hearing stories about Steph Curry knowing that he was going to be outmatched physically by a point guard that he would be playing, he would put two guys on him in practice and double team himself the whole week. So when he got into the game, it didn't seem so different. I mean, that's just smart. Like, that's not even – you don't have to be a genius to do that, right? Like that mm. – always trying to shoot with someone in front of you. That's what he's trying to do. He's already shot for three hours on his own. Now he needs to make it. I'm sure when he starts shooting, what's he, 50% basically in his career from inside three-point? Right. Well, in, pra in practice some days, I bet you he makes like 200 in a row. But it's, it's not the same. It's not, it's not the same. It's, so it's important. That's why his, his form is so good. But, you know, to me, the greatest shots I've ever seen is when a guy's form was kind of slightly altered and he was sideways on the move with the basket moving away from him. Well, how can you practice that standing in place? So what's the, most, what's the most important thing for a professional basketball player to do is play basketball, play the game. So to me, with the kids in golf, man, they'll sit on the range in a short game area and do all that stuff forever. But it's like, go on the golf course. But people, that, that's where you're going to learn. That's where you're going to learn what you can and can't do. And I think the greats of all time kind of practiced what they weren't good at on the golf course. So if that was like certain wind conditions, uh, certain types of bunker shots, certain type of chip shots, um, the, the, the game can only show you where you need to work. And it, it's funny. I mean, you coached a guy that you, you mentioned all these like background stories of like a, a way to create environments that aren't, you know, perfect. You know, it's not Isles worth and we're not out there and it's perfect, you know, 75 degrees and we're all having a great time and everyone's playing well and everyone's shooting below 70. You know, Tiger Woods dad, you know, back in the day when he was younger, I mean, he had a whistle behind him or whatever pots and pans, whatever it was. And he would basically just try to drive him insane, you know, yeah, while, we, he was, while he was on a golf course. Yeah. And those, that, and those are only the stories that we know. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, what was his dad? His dad was a, his, his dad was a Green Beret in Vietnam. I mean, yep. in 1966, or sorry, 68. I mean, that mm -hmm. was nasty. So if you think about it, like, and then also his dad, you know, Tiger got the name from the, the, the South Vietnamese Special Forces guy's dad worked with. So yep. they're working in very small groups of men doing serious things. So. Yep. If, if anyone knew how to train the mind, I mean, that's what, that's what we've seen, right? I mean, there's been plenty of guys who hit it as good as Tiger or putt as good as Tiger or chip as good as Tiger, um, but not, none of them have been one person and none of them have done the best things under the most duress. But te technically, you would say, like, no one wins, no one runs a world record in the 100-meter dash in practice. That stuff always happens like the Olympics and stuff, right? <laughs> <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Yep. Yeah, for sure. That, that, that's, and so to me, it would just be the guys that, uh, you know, it would just be the guys that train. But I think at the end of the day, that whole greatness thing, that, that, just, comes from, that just comes from within. I could see how Del Curry's son might like basketball, but Vince talks about just how annoying this kid was <laughs> and how he would run out on the court all the time, start shooting, have to play one-on-one, -on -one, try to get past you. And he said, basically, by the time the kid was like 12 years of age, he'd get around anybody because his handles were so fast because that's all he did all day. 
And it's funny because a lot of people will take those videos of Steph and they'll say, you know, he's like a playground player. Like you said, so like he's fallen over to the right, but is able to, to switch the shot because again, it's playground basketball, but it came from playing and it came from people blocking his shot. And he had to figure out a way to, to get his shot up in a different fashion. You know, it's like a creativity is creativity is a higher form of intelligence than intellect. Mm -hmm. Right. I mean, yep. Newton and all those guys were obviously very smart, but man, can you imagine the imagination that he had to have to figure out modern physics? I mean, mm -hmm. that's way more artist than it is engineer. I think like that's trippy. Like, I mean, those dudes sat back all those early astronomers and were looking up trying to figure that thing out. Um, so to me, the creativity, uh, and then the other thing is what can Steph probably outdo almost anyone in the league in his cardio is so strong because mm -hmm. he's learned a way to play where he can sprint the whole game and you watch defenders get absolutely tired and they miss look all they have to do is get one step slower and you know that ball's gone yep exactly okay, so when when his only thought is to shoot faster than he thinks he can then i mean one step is one step is 12 feet in the 100 meter dash for a guy like that you know so uh, that's the thing is why I think Steph is such an important story is one because of environment. So Del Curry, Glenn Rice, Ray Allen, there you go. That's a good, that's a good place to start. And then just sitting in the stands all those years, watching all these practices and then going out and trying to do the stuff. Um, and then just doing it to complete failure. Mm -hmm. I mean, everything he makes look easy. Now at some point he literally kicked the wall or threw the basketball into the stands or did something. Frustration is such a huge part of growth and learning. It really is because basically you, you, at some point your brain learns how to do what you've been trying to do. Well, until that point, because you can do it one day and then you can't do it the next day, then people get frustrated. But that's just the whole part of it, right? There's no one who's not frustrated in climbing Mount Everest. And I think the problem with sports is that everyone wants to get to the summit of Mount Everest, but no one wants frostbite at 20,000 feet. And that's not going to fucking happen. You are going to get frostbite. There's no way around it. Mm -hmm. So it's like, basically, are you able to endure the pain and the failure and all the doubts long enough to basically be the last one there is pretty much, I think, uh, what it works like. Like it, when I started out, when I was 22 and I really got into this, if you had put down on like the wall, everything I would have had to do up until this day, and I looked at that at 22, I would have went, how the hell is anyone going to do that? <laughs> so I just think that it's a really good thing for people to understand that it's just really good that you don't know what it takes. Because if mm -hmm. you did, you probably wouldn't even start. And I'm, I'm sure BJ could speak to that. I'm sure most people could speak to that. Because it's, uh, it, uh, the, the, the climb is like taxing and it's hard and you have to make sacrifices, which, which to me is what makes it necessary. Um, and, you know, you have your decent days at 19,000 feet where you can go out because it's sunny, but there's going to be a blizzard the next day. So it, to me, it's not really about, being positive and being happy. It's just about being able to stay curious and passionate about doing the mundane day after day as everything's trying to tax your belief system. And you just got to stick with it and stick with it and stick with it and stick with it. And that's, I mean, a guy wanted me to write a book and I was like, well, how much can you charge for a book? That's one chapter. <laughs>
right? Like the eight yep. steps to spiritual enlightenment. I didn't even know there was eight. Like, what if I miss step four? Am I fucked? Like, what does that even mean? <laughs> right? All right. That again is Sean Foley, who is a world-class golf instructor. This is a part one for pushing through. We, uh, we have probably about an hour and a half recorded with Sean. Um, we will get to the full version of that on the next episode of pushing through. But for now, I am Tate Frazier signing off. And if you're in water, make waves. We'll see you on Friday.